1998, I founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. I did it because I had a few talented friends who needed a place to take their art to the next level. And because I knew there had to be more voices out there waiting to be heard. And because I wanted to go to an open mic where at least two out of three poems didn't suck. My name is Tracy Smith, and this is the Kazoo Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. A question asked in one naked moment. I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the industrial revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. Finding how wonderful we are, we form the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. So this week's podcast is another mystery show. I don't know exactly when it was recorded, sometime in late 2000 or early 2001. Uh, I can tell by the poems that I do in the open mic. I'm not overly fond of them, but you might like them. This was also just before we went to doing two shows a month instead of four shows. Um, Doing a show every week seemed to thin out the crowd a little bit too much, so we pulled it back to every other Tuesday and started charging a little bit more so that we could pay our out-of-town poetry features. This is just the open mic portion of the show, with a few musical numbers thrown in uh, by Stacey Kovac, and uh, right at the end, uh, Charlie Burgess does a couple of tunes. I hope you like it. anything new i'm sorry okay well i'll make something up later but (laughs) before i do that i'm going to introduce the first poet of the night in our open mic that poet's going to be tracy smith everybody give him a round of applause yeah there is I thought I could pull it off there for a second. This one's not quite tall enough, though. I signed up third, man. Not first. That's no fair. Okay, here's a new one, and it's a weird subject to dedicate to somebody, but I'm going to dedicate it to Andrew and... Ginger. When I was 24, I found a loophole in my destiny in a choice that still makes sense to me. In an HMO insurance plan that read, vasectomies are free. So I stopped swimming in the gene pool because all I could see in my child's future was worse than was what, le- what was left to me. Parents working overtime, father absent in his silence, mother drunk on broken dreams and battered expectations. When I was 24, I lost my reason to believe, my ambitions to achieve, my ability to perceive a better tomorrow. When I was 24, all I could do was grieve. As the nightly news reflected my internal bleak perceptions of a generation bought and sold, a generation told by its elders that happiness and redemption, emancipation and transcendence could be purchased at a local outlet store. When I was 24, every day was just the same. Sun, moon, stars, rain, all the common miracles of life went unseen. I wanted to strike at the, back at them just for being. When I was 24, I gave up the dream of family because I wasn't strong enough to watch the woman I loved make another silent choice, to bear alone another ghost of could have been because society has no compassion for necessities. When I was 24, I gave up the dream of family like I gave up the dream of being a teacher because I wasn't strong enough to watch another child suffer. I couldn't risk the abuse, misuse, a million random acts of degradation that might befall a child, any child, my child. When I was 24, I wasn't strong enough to bear the helpless terror that men feel for their women at birth. I wasn't wise enough to teach 
all the vague human wisdoms of love when I was 24. The things I didn't know about love could fill the Taj Mahal. I never thought I'd be strong enough to look into an innocent eye and say, the world is full of lies. There's nothing fair. All of us must die, some of us alone before our time. But I love you. I got one more. This one's a little lighter, <laughs> fluffier. But, you know, it's got dead animals in it. It doesn't have a title other than The Tortoise and the Hare, which I'm sure you all remember the parable from when you were young. I'm walking towards the sunset thinking about tomorrow because I've lost the taste for the sorrows that used to hold me down. I'm walking along the roadside counting summer roadkill. Squirrels, opossums, polecats, tire tracks on tortoise shells tell me the race has been run. But what happened to the hare? He wasn't napping like your mama told you. He was busy in the bushes by the roadside, getting himself a nice piece of cottontail, because he knew the fix was in, you see. So while the Papa Bunnies were waiting by the finish line to collect their winnings, he was knocking back doors all along the route. He had all of his bases covered, and all his secret lovers kept him leaping in the shadows and conscious of the clock. He was counting on the steel and glass inertia to snap the turtle's shell. You see... When the best laid plans of tortoise meets man, the one with the biggest thumbs always wins. So fuck your revolutions and pray for evolution to change our hearts, our minds, our once upon a times into something that makes sense. Because the shells that once protected us are smashed like jigsaw puzzle pieces of our past. And if you could put them back together, they'd look nothing like the promises of the picture on the box. I'm walking along the roadside towards the sunset, counting summer roadkill. Tire tracks on tortoise shells tell me the race is run, and my money's on the hare. Hell yeah, give a big round of applause for Tracy. That get you guys warmed up? Did you guys fired up? You ready? Good. Good. All right. Next up. Hey, Bill. You want to spin a couple pieces for us? All right. Get on up here, Bill. Uh, this first piece is entitled Voices Unheard. The progress machine knows no bounds or limits to suffering. It is sleek and modern, uncaring, and much too big for anyone to see all at once. We can only look through its insect eyes at the segmented worlds of CBS, CNN, ABC, NBC, and Oprah, at the empty stairs of the very poor, the street riots in Jerusalem, or the powerful forces of nature, all the symbols will be played out for our awe and our entertainment. And a glittering sign on the third world reads, we'll work for food, or even another chance to breathe polluted air, drink sewer water, or sleep under a highway overpass in Korea, Brazil, Hong Kong, or Chicago, where each night the windy city streets are scrapes clean of the garbage. There is nothing left to eat but the words of right-wing Christians who are not their brother's keepers. The progress machine does not stop for human beings, it is fueled by time and pure thought, moving at light speed. Its sleek lines are seductive and sexy, full of excitement and a promise for a better tomorrow. It's a shiny red sports car with no brakes, speeding down your street at 100 miles an hour, a phantom blip on your radar screen, like the freight trains and trucks speeding west for more oil and steel, gliding on endless iron rails, resting on the bones of the buffalo of Indian, African, and Chinese slaves. 
After all, when you win the wars, you never have to say you're sorry. That's why it's always been about winning one war or another. That's why we don't scrutinize the winners of the human race. It's why we build our medical and social sciences around the practice of tirelessly examining the losers of the race. If they break stride or show bad form, we randomly test them for drugs, test them for everything but a conscience. We'd all like to know why they consistently show up on Oprah or America's Funniest Home Videos with their scrotum-biting dogs and their slapstick culture that we all find so endearingly inferior, so colorful. My Indian friend calls this show America's Funniest White People. And yes, today the spin doctors do make house calls. Between the laugh tracks, they implied that the third world is not our problem. It's so far away, shit, it probably doesn't even exist. The Nikes you bought weren't made in New Jersey, but the glue used on them is only toxic when it's wet. So not to worry. American businessmen in their fresh tropical suits visit a Malaysian shoe factory. They hold their breaths while pretending not to as they smile fondly at the young Malaysian girls in their thin blue smocks and linen face masks. They busily work around the glue pots, attaching the soles like doctors reassembling a patient. In the third world, women are masked, made to be silent, forced to live at the bottom to carry the burden of everyone's poverty. You won't see them on Jerry Springer or Rush Limbaugh or any TV show, the enslaved, the raped, and murdered. They're all soon forgotten, just like we forgot our first bloody ride on the progress machine here in America. In time, all of us will forget that we were the original Pepsi generation. And the glittering sign on the third world says, relax, America, we just want to be like you. So in Brazil, Central America, and Mexico, more Indians secretly vanish each night, their silent disappearance hid by the falling of trees and the quiet death of the rainforest, now lost forever in the promise of fresh mahogany and feed corn. And uh, one more uplifting uh, poem. This is entitled The Metaphor Factory. At our writing class, we are taught to lie down flat, face up in the grass. As poets, we are astronauts of a new space, stasis. We gaze upward at the changing clouds waiting to see a metaphor, the dream of a message. When it finally comes, it is a heavy, huge, low-hanging cloud, terrifying. We lie motionless, staring upward, frozen in its light, afraid to move or even to be seen seeing it. And suddenly, there it is, the blank paper, its blank stare looking back at us. It's a total stranger, a sinister unknown person. How should we treat this new visitor, as an enemy, as firstborn, or merely as a stranger that's passing by our factory, stopping to watch our thoughts take form, to watch the rhymes and similes and alliterations rise from our bodies like bubbles. The continental cliques drift away into random cacophonies of commerce and traffic. The words we need pass through us so agonizingly slow. We feel them moving inside of us, hurting us, their sharp edges like the pinworms that split and trundle through the sleeping fruit as it hangs suspended, upside down, without arms or legs, helpless in the wind. Thank you. All right, give Bill a big round of applause, guys. Did you guys think about a little music? Little music, okay? Sound good? You guys think? Oh, this isn't gonna work, man. You guys gotta get fired up before the slam. All right, everybody, welcome Stacy to the stage.
try a few brand new songs that I just wrote last week. So this first one is called Someday. Can you guys hear me? Okay.
Okay, this one's called In Stone.
I'll do one that's not quite so slow. <laughs> Sorry.
What'd you guys think of Stacy? <laughs> Hell yeah! Guess what? In two weeks, Stacy's gonna be the feature here. Hell yeah! So definitely, definitely come down in a couple weeks and see Stacy do a full set. She's been coming down for a couple months now, and uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, for a couple of shameless plugs, you know how it is. You're supposed to boo at this point. Everybody, ooh, well, you know, I've got to do it. We're selling season passes. It's like a club thing. You get a little card, and they're 50 bucks. Yeah, be cool like Carl. Where's Carl? Carl bought one. Everybody boo Carl. No, I'm just kidding. No. But, uh, yeah, they're 50 bucks, and then you don't have to pay for all year. When you buy it, we, we stamp it for that month and then throughout the year. It's like a $100 value or something crazy like that. And it looks just like that. Awesome. And we have some really bad news, but it kind of ties into the, the card. After next week, there will no longer be $1 shows. We're raising the cover. You're supposed to boo again. But the reason we're raising the cover is because there's going to be a feature every single week. You guys just aren't enthusiastic tonight, are you? Okay. All right, we will bring our next poet up on stage, and the next poet is Joe. Get on up here, Joe. Let's see, let's see. You all know about lemmings, right? Everybody, is there anybody who doesn't know about lemmings? Lemmings? Lemmings, you know about lemmings, okay. So I don't need any footnotes. This is called Lemmings, not the Disney version. Let's take one item of folklore that simply isn't true. Lemmings do not commit that human act, the suicide for others' welfare. First, think about what lemmings are, small furry animals that live their small brown lives out in the wild, feeding on fare they are adapted through millions of false starts required for natural selection to take place to eat. They reproduce as mammals by males impregnating females according to procedures that, given the relatively changeless, if brutal, natural world they live in, are likely by statistical extrapolation to survive at least for long enough to bear and nourish young who bear the burden of reproducing the survival of those genetic traits that got the male and female far enough through their short, dangerous, small lives to reach the point of copulation. Wham, bam, and thank you, ma'am, and sire, so glad to satisfy desire, my own, not yours. Now, let's get on with the next task we are made to do by instinct individually, though each of us may take interest in child support, or rather in the future of our DNA. Now, Thomas Malthus pointed out two centuries ago that hunger, which grows with each new mouth to feed, will always grow beyond the food supply. Put that idea next to Darwin's, and any reasonable thinker concludes that with the variations in how the population is controlled that nature has available, one might expect some noble breed expanding to fill every house the world can offer would arrive, however blindly, at a point where suicide by some makes sense, at least until the population comes down to what the world can feed, the way the prices in stock markets adjust downward after the frenzy of good times into the gray and flat reality of mild depression, sobered for now but glad to make it, and sure that with safeguards in place, unlimited expansion's worth another try, and then another. The implication is, of course, that several safeguards should be tried. Control the population first, by killing off the undesirables, eugenics, scapegoating the Jews, death camps, or ethnic cleansing, to bring the tactic up to date. Second, convince the lemmings subtly that suicide's their duty, just as nature has. Downsize the population. 
But to do this, you must convince people that lemmings take the leap to make it plausible they should and make them think it is instinct to put blind loyalty to group before informed consent, which is defined by the ninth article from Nuremberg as equal to the right to flee from genocide or to decline to go along with any other mandatory experiment by those in power, the ones we call the management. So Disney makes this film that lies Easy to do back in the 50s. Gray flannel, Cold War, minds at ease. They gather up half a dozen unwitting lemmings, cart them off to Canada, take three years of film to get the right illusion, though lemmings do not live up there, that thousands dive who cannot swim. They drown the poor things just to make their point, that you should sacrifice by instinct and without reflection when you are told you are too many. And in the meantime, you should be happy as Mickey Mouse to be a mouseketeer like all the others. That film is actually the source, the first recorded document that claims that lemmings kill themselves. The legend starts with Disney lies, concocted to sell family films about cute animals like us, with all our happy families and gentle, wise self-sacrifice. But lemmings when they overpopulate, although they may crowd some off cliffs and wet furred corpses strew the shore, flies buzzing, maggots oozing, stinking the stink of death life brings with it. It won't be smooth and voluntary. It won't be blind obedience. It won't be matching uniforms. It won't be those aggressive smiles that greet you at the gate and lead to frontier or to fantasy land. It just may be like Kosovo or Dachau or the Gulag, ghetto or chain gang. Or it might be like this. When there are too many, lemmings like the little rats they look so like, grow savage with each other, fighting not just their friends and relatives, loved ones and workmates, but tearing their leaders into bloody shreds and feasting on fat, stupid flesh. I guess you can tell I'm a little worried about how things have been going lately. My friends have been urging me to practice Buddhist meditation. So that's what this is about. It's called catch and release. You fishermen know what that means, right? The discipline of meditation, if it is not wrong to call it discipline when you must learn to do it from yourself, and right to call it meditation when the point of it is not to think about but how to avoid thinking altogether, each day, or this day, early in the morning, with no guest in your house or hours to kill, before you put on all the harnesses to do the pulling thing, the plow and harvest knowledge that anyone could do without if anyone could just see through the world and stop, stop burning up the bodies in mass graves, stop chasing car tires, being barking dogs. You sit spine straight and breathe another breath, you think of how you always had to throw back fish you didn't want, the way your father's hand slid out the hook, leaving the fish uninjured. He'd toss the stunned life back in the water, and it would then forget how it was caught, shake, wriggle, arch, and circle, gleaming down the cold, dark world, then thrash itself into a forward motion, effortless, and slip into the rhythm of its gills, pushing the water in and out, not thinking, but simply breathing its way through a world it could not see until impulse next time would drive it to the baited hook. They'd never learn, he'd say, but we can teach them. The point of it is not that they go back, but that you learn to let them go. They're fish, and they do what fish do, do what you do. But recollection is a dream. Wake, breathe, 
The unobstructed breath is like a thread reeled in and out, a nylon fishing line, bright blue, transparent, stronger than it looks, which is fragile and delicate. It pays its way past everything untouched except by that last tiny loop up at the lip, the nose, which feels upon its inside surface the going forth and coming back the cool, the warm, barely perceptible, unless attention brings itself to it. Meanwhile, the weather's changing all around your head. It's raining hard, the big fat drops striking your temple, beating at the doors your eyelids make, but you forget each one. The thunder lifts the earth beneath your seat as if you were within the beast's great jaws, but there upon his tongue you sit, breathing, taking a break from your mortality and from the emptiness of everything. You do not count or balance time, but let it go and let it go on going while you go nowhere neither fast nor slow nor trying to go. You have no place to go. You have no place to be. You are not here. You are not anywhere. You only seem to be here. Only at that point the breath keeps passing by. One thought surprises you, but only for a moment. It is just a thought passing away the instant it is born as you catch yourself thinking and think not, not by denial, but by mindfulness of your practice of breathing. A strong feeling, a rich and agonizing flame, desire bursts out of you at every pore. You burn in protest against war, against the murder of every vessel pouring back and forth the trickling breath. But you are like the ghost eyes closed and generously smiling, appearing in the bonfire, breathing in and out the medium of oblivion. All right, give a big round of applause for Joe. Next up, the stage beckons Stacy. chewing gum and shit when you want to. I'll probably like, end up spitting it out. All right. It's going to be hard for me to get serious now. You can walk away from the pain that is emotionally dragging you down, away from the fear that is blinding you from seeing what is on the other side, and listen to your heart and act on what you truly feel is right because your instincts will never prove you wrong. They will never lead you in the wrong direction and take in everything that is happening around you because even the smallest and most insignificant things can have the greatest impact on your life. And you can listen to me tell you all this, but that would take away the whole point of living. And who is really going to take advice from some 18-year-old kid? Just some poet trying to get people to listen. Just some kid who wants other people to hear her talk because she likes the sound of her own voice. But hey, maybe you can benefit from this kid trying to slam, this kid trying to join the ranks of a higher poet, trying to catch a vibe from a higher power, because after all, we all have something to learn. Yeah. Okay, the only really reason why I'm reading an open mic right now is because I'm trying to get my voice ready to slam tonight. So these are all old ones. They might suck, so just don't, like, tell me they suck, you know? <laughs> don't be like, hey, bitch, those sucked. Because then I'll... All right, fuck you, Laurel. <laughs> all right. So... It takes a lot to get me angry. I'm not really one of those I'm gonna kick your ass type of girls, but uh, someday I'm gonna be able to stand up for myself and I'm gonna be able to just walk up to someone and just push them for the hell of it. And I'm gonna walk around with this angry look on my face and be giggling on the inside and biker chicks will envy me and big mean dykes will wanna be me. <laughs> and so, no, I'm not really mean. 
Actually, I can't even confront people. When I'm mad, I'm, I just, like, sit and cry. But someday, yes, someday, I'm going to wear shirts that say shit like, girls kick ass and fuck the world. And someday, I'm going to be able to tell someone I want my money back for the permit they gave me. It fell out two fucking days later. And, and then I got it redone, and it still fell out two fucking days later. And I paid it for it twice. <laughs> and see... I'm going to be able to walk around and tell people exactly how I feel, even if they suck, and, and I'll just be mean. But until then, I'm just going to sit back and keep my mouth shut and just please don't kick my ass. Don't give me no attitude now. Drew can get off the stage now. Okay, I see how it is. All right, all right. Excuse the interruption. Stacy's being rude. Oh, I love you. All right. What'd you guys think of Stacy? Warming up for her big slam. Getting greased up and all ready to go. All right. <laughs> Stacy is now a well-oiled machine. All right. All right. Amy, are you ready? Yes. Yeah. You're not? What's... First, I will torture you with listening some music of Czech language. Budoucnost. Svět za bílým závojem. Nahlédni, ale pozor dej, abys nespatřil příliš mnoho. Jak nahlédnout? Kde? <laughs> Nenapovím. Hledej, máš-li dost touhy. Ale pozor, dej, abys nespatřil příliš mnoho. Mohl by zklamán jako dítě, které už ví, co najde pod vánočním stromkem. Future. World behind the white whale. Peek in. But be careful. So you don't see too much. How? Where to look? <laughs> I'm not telling. Seek if you desire enough. But be careful. So you don't see too much. You may be disappointed. Just like Kit. Who knows already what is under the Christmas tree. What do you guys think? Give a big round of applause. And I apologize for, for mistaking your name. I, 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 I've got a list full of people. I don't know who they are. All right. Next to the stage, Damien. All right, come on. Can y'all hear me? All right, I was going to do four for y'all, but I'm reduced to two, so here goes it. Here goes it. This poem is called D.A.D. I got the unsuspecting phone call at 7.30 a.m. You said, 
This is your father, like pushing yourself inside my mother was some kind of accomplishment. Your words hit me like a train hits a rusted out old Chevette on the, sitting on the tracks. Like a Mack truck hits that pedestrian just going to the corner store for some milk. You said father in that too many cigarettes voice and I was blood and guts on the sidewalk. The little girl who crumpled in her mother's lap when you used to come around drinking your Miller High Life out of a warm bottle. I didn't know who you were. You so huge to me then and I so small. I know I wanted to call you daddy then, but you always seemed to disappear before the word could leave that place in my stomach and escape through my lips. So now you want me to call you dad, dad. What the fuck does that word mean? I don't know and you don't know either, dropping in and out of my life like it's some kind of carnival ride. You know, the kind that make you want to puke. And just when you think you're about to, you go ahead and hand them another red ride ticket for one more time around. You have been a name we both share, a hazy dream of hairy hands and beer breath. So what do you want me to do now that you're dying of that damn Agent Orange and you paid for my college? Do you expect me to know what your favorite color is? Or maybe smile to myself when you call? Don't you know in those flank moments of telephone air with this stranger whose eyes I have, I just want to crumple in my mama's lap. I want off this roller coaster ride now, Daddy. I've used up my, all my emotional tickets. <laughs> On a lighter note, this is called Scream for Ice Cream. Yeah. Scream for Ice Cream. <laughs> Just something about that, the way that Chunky Monkey Chocolate Almond Overload and Raspberry Sorbet and Cream wash it all away. Never bitching about the dishes that never seem to get done, left to mold in the sink or the floor unvacuumed. Wavy gravy sits there in my Salvation Army special freezer, my most private redemption. Right out of the carton, just the way I like it. The spoon curls on the tip of my tongue. Sweet vanilla orange dream rolls my eyes back in pleasure like no other lover. Take me, Ben and Jerry. Let's have a foursome tonight. Just you, me, and some chocolate chip cookie dough. And sprinkles. You can sprinkle my vanilla cone with assorted colors all night if you like. And none of that fat-free, non-fat frozen yogurt bullshit. Because I want to fill it in my thighs in the morning. I want to be drunk on rum raisin. I want to have an orgy at Baskin Robbins involving all 31 flavors. Give it to me. I want to go down on some big moose tracks filled waffle cone. Because it feels so good melting down the back of my throat. I want a big fat heap and helping, and I want it right now. Because all us girls know that, yes, size does matter. Next up, Dave. Get up here, Dave. You gonna spin us a couple? You gonna spin us a couple? You gonna spin us a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he said I was some kind of a bad psycho or something. Oh well, it's just drugs. Yeah, I, uh, I've been writing. It's been good to write. Yeah, it's good to write. And I got two for you. My two. Two latest. <coughs> this one's titled Begging for Time. Might I have an ear, a bit of one or a bit of all, a few moments of your being to disagree or confirm the fall. Yesterdays I remembered begging for time that's about to come. Might and I see a masterpiece that I call a day, being sunshine or a bird of all there is, of all you play. Reckon it won't last, 
begging for time that's about to pass. Thank you. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> All right. Now, I got to give credit to uh, Travis Bjork for writing this because he's playing the guitar when I wrote it. So it's kind of a song, but it ain't recorded yet, but it will be. I'm not going to sing it. Travis will. And it's titled, I Got a Story. I've got a story about a dying river. She don't seem to wonder because she knows forever there'll come a time that we will all come to know. I've got a story about a living mountain. Said he wouldn't leave, and now he's all but forgotten. There'll come a time he will come to know. I've got a story about a snowy trail. The snow never leaves, it's like a fairy tale. There'll come a time when it will all have to leave. I've got a story about a dying man. He lays in reprieve. No one understands. There'll come a time when we will all have to leave. Fear not, good hands are upon you. Fear not, good eyes lay on you. All will be all right. Thank you. All right, what you guys think of Dave? Yeah. Charlie. Charlie! Give a big round of applause for our very own, the one and only cosmic space monkey of Kraft Brow. new song Roses bloom and die around my head when I see her Dark winged angel flies above my head when I see her. She takes me to a place when she touches me, when she speaks to me, when I see her. to play a song and I promised to play it this week but a couple days ago I realized um, I had totally forgotten about it that there was an older version of the song and uh, 
so I'm going to do that instead. I don't love you anymore. The feeling is all gone. I felt this way before. But never for so long You don't treat me like a man The way you did before And I've had all that I can stand I don't love you anymore Okay, one more. The great big ice cream sundae from outer space was in a place prepared for me. The great big ice cream sundae from outer space I stuffed my face cause it was free. And when I was finished its size was not diminished the great big ice cream sundae from outer space was in a place prepared for me Sunday from out of space was in a place prepared for me. Thanks. You guys think it's Charlie? 
Your Majesty, I simply don't do it. Come on, you do it. You know you do it. We all do it. We love to do it. You do it. No, I don't. You want to do it. I do it. I love to do it. I just did it and I'm ready to do it again. Don't tell me you don't do it. <laughs> oh. It's good to be the king.